So let's take some questions. So maybe I'll start from the bottom today. <laughs> oh. Is jitter able to verbalize or understand words and what is its role in nightmares? Mm-hmm. Jitter understands meanings rather than words themselves. So words are just either sounds, if you hear them, or little squiggles, if you see them. Mm-hmm. Jitter doesn't really understand that. It does understand uh, the meanings that, um, the, that get evoked through those words and sounds. Evoked is the right term because um, you know, it's the, the evocation is often can be quite personal. What, what when I say the word like um, you know, um, rat, <laughs> what that means to you. Yeah. Mm, not the or dog, mm, yeah, or government, <laughs> or you know, various things can be quite evocative. So the word can mean have different nuances of different people, and that's what the jitter gets its own nuances, the nuances of the meanings. Nightmares are often seem to me basically this the jitter. Um, as it's rolling, it's a kind of rolling on experience. It's always moving, vibrant, rolling on through its karmic web, like a spider running around on, a, on its web constantly. The web is moving in the breeze and the spider rushes around on this web. Maybe there's a fly there, maybe it's just the wind. It's kind of rushing around. So as it's moving around, it sometimes hits into anxiety patterns and throws up images of anxiety or fear. So it's rather like this. This is all. You know, so don't take them too literally, though they might have some significance. The jitter is expressing its its fears, dread, in terms of nightmares. Are there many differences between fetters and hindrances? Why can't hindrances be combined into fetters? Well, well, they are really. The hindrances refer to more things like ill will and vyapada, um, ill will, and karma raga, sense desire, uh, dullness, sloth torpor, means a sluggish, apathetic mind, and um, restlessness and um, speculative doubt. And these are kind of hindrances that arise in the mind, blemish it. Um, fetters are much more to do with more deeply residual locks. So hindrances can arise and pass. If you're wrong. It doesn't mean it won't come back again. Yeah. So there's a difference between the hindrance of ill will and the fetter of irritability, patiga. It means right now you're not experiencing any ill will because nobody's bothering you but you may still have the tendency towards getting irritated. So that's a fetter. So someone who is um, um, deeply developed in the path doesn't have the potential to get irritated. Is cultivating bhavana or kanti the best way to burn off our defilements? I found having kanti to those we don't like is very difficult. It is indeed. Well, developing kanti is bhavana, it's a cultivation, 
important cultivation. And the way to um, wipe burns off your defilements could stop first of all, it stops you reacting to your the that sense of of irritation. So that means you don't if you keep reacting to it, you will increase its strength. If you don't react to it, you will decrease its strength. And you'll see how uncomfortable it is to be irritable. So you think, oh, what can I do about this? I mean, this person is annoying and stupid and petty and da 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 da. But why does it have to? Why do I have to get into this unpleasant state with it? So you focus back on that irritability, and you notice actually it's when I when I notice particular aspects of this person's behaviour. Now, if I notice the ears, I don't get irritated. If I notice, if I think of them going to sleep, I don't feel irritated. If I think of them being sick, I feel rather concerned. If I if I think of them being in pain, maybe I feel a little bit of compassion. So it's only certain aspects that you're reacting to, not not the person, but particular actions. And these actions give rise to perceptions. So the actions, person's actions or behaviour. And why? Why does it bother you? Somebody's that way, why does it bother you? Because you get involved, you feel made small, dominated, bullied, rejected, you know, somebody's using you badly, wasting your time, and so on. Well, that's the bit you have to work with. Yeah. 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 Withdrawing your engagement from those actions. Just, just hear the voice as sound. The actions are just actions arising. Yeah. That's That's practice. And you can feel that place in your heart where it gets prickly and raw and agitated and just step back and practice calming that place in your in your heart. So if other people are unpleasant and for sure people can be extremely unpleasant, you won't find a world in which there aren't unpleasant people. But you could find a mind which is not irritated by it. That's practice. Person, a lot of pain in the body, move a lot during sitting, so the energy flow gets disturbed. Well, you could do walking, um, so that the energy flow is flowing smoothly, that would help. You can do chanting, so energy flow goes into the sound, that would help. Um, you could do sweeping your body, bring attention up and down your body. That would help. You could do moving slowly rather than keep fidgeting. That would make it smoother. You could do standing, qigong. That would probably help. Particularly movement would help. Um, those would be helpful. Advice on cultivating metta, loving kindness. I can bring up kindness to myself when I notice the inner critic. But metta in meditation, I can't seem to make it work. I think that's the problem, I'm making it work. I think you're right there. Uh, um, yeah, I, I sympathise with this. Uh, it's that trying to do metta. Uh, 
rather than just not be averse to what's going on or recognize aversion to what's going on and keep relaxing it uh, and metta kindness is best induced by, by bringing up an image in your mind something that you feel and that heart naturally opens towards mm. you know, so you, even if it's just mm, dog dog, friend, so forth. It doesn't have to be fantastic, just a sense of heart opening. Uh, and then experience the, something that wishes to contact that in a in a in a warm way. And get a feel for that. What that state of mind is like and also the space that it opens up when it's less um, internalized, less self, more mutualized, more, and that feels a more comfortable space to to occupy. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? It feels like I no longer feel quite so much just closed into me. Meta helps to open that space. I'd rather like the heart acquires a slightly different shape, you might say. It's, it's wider, broader, and slightly different um, texture, feeling to it. It's sort of uh, abundant, is the word. It means it's certain, certain, it's rather than searching for, trying to pull something in, it's sort of lightly flowing out. You know, and that feels feels uh, better, more useful, and uh, then you notice certain uh, negative tendencies are not occurring, and dwelling in that more often doesn't have to be that fantastic. It isn't even really about helping people. It doesn't mean about doing anything. Just about feeling a bit wider and more ex- open and more expanded. And as the chitta gets to feel that, <laughs> it's almost you can almost treat your chitta like it's a, like it's a you know a creature. As it gets to know that space, it doesn't want to go back into its little cramped state. It sort of stays in that in that wider, more spacious setting. Uh, uh, and there's a natural then. When phenomena arise, you get less aversion, less retraction, less agitation, less worry, less fear. So it's a kind of sphere. It's called the sphere of the beautiful. So it may not necessarily be all the time. It's kind of giving out strong inclination. It becomes a spacious, uncontracted state. And so you shouldn't try to pump it out <laughs> just touch the jitter with uh, what she did was very nice she didn't have to do that you know, she didn't have to say that pleasant thing he didn't have to give me that they were courteous they were they were they were trying to make things better for me and people do this a lot people touch a lot with some gestures of you know, respect or goodwill, of course, it's unpleasant stuff too, but people do. 
because they like it. And you just, but do you notice it? Um, notice it in tiny acts in the day where someone, you know, inclines your way in a, in a positive direction. It's just the, you know, smile at you and say thanks. So that the increased receptivity, and this is this is the natural domain of the balanced human is the metta goodwill. Without this, there can't be any real communication. So it's not just a special one-off gift for a special person it's it's the standard for how you can relate to people now basically it's not so much you're pumping out good intentions it's just you don't have this sense of flat and negative you know well you know uh, fearing their hostility so human contact can be marred by this sense of warding off potential hostility <laughs> or they don't really like me, or if I do this, she's going to give me a hard time. You know, that, that fearful negative state, or assuming one is not welcome or not liked, and then trying to compensate for it. So, if, you know, we can clean that out. We're not apologizing for our existence. We're, you know, then this we'd say is, is the general domain of the realm of goodwill. Alternate healing methods like bark flower remedies, I don't know actually. Never really um, investigated it, but uh, yeah. I know that you know pharmaceutical industry. One can have some suspicion about uh, medication, but um, I'm not in a way to to um, comment on that. Startled out of the body when the bell rings or they get disturbed. What could be going on? Seems one is sensitive, chitta is sensitive to sense impact. Naturally, when sound like a bell is a very sharp, um, commanding tone to it, it does penetrate. I tend to use it sparingly. I much prefer using my voice to indicate closing of a session, though it does vary, just because of the sudden sharpness of it. But there is a jolt, and that's kind of what the bells are for, to give you a small jolt. Uh, So when you hear that, feel the feeling, and first thing is just to acknowledge that and then return to the body, stabilise. In other words, don't feel you've got to jump up and do something. Ancestral exclusions. For some, fa- There have been ancestral seclusions for some family members. If I have been one of the excluded family members, should I locate this exclusion in the body and then investigate? Yes, I would recommend that. 
um, basically the experience of feeling left out, uh, which I imagine everyone has sometime or another. Once you're in a group, once you're in a group, then this experience of being excluded from the group. <laughs> because, uh, you, know, you know, if you have a group of 10 people, not everybody's on exactly the same page all the time. And uh, two or three of those might be, and they're, having, they're bonding well, and other people are kind of okay. And, then, you know, so, so the sense of there being everybody feeling completely included is not usual it would actually take takes quite a lot of quite a lot of work uh, to, um, to to experience that uh, practice with that with groups it's the nature of the mind is shifting 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 is like kind of vibrating orbs moving around the karmic spheres sort of sliding in touch and sometimes they get in touch and they really bond and other times they don't and um, it may be that one of the one of the um, say illusions yeah illusions about group is that there is such a thing <laughs> um, it's, a, it's an expression but uh, the bonding in that is variable and I live in I've lived in communities now for 40 45 years and uh, my sense is the bonding can be quite strong on occasions but uh, probably not not that strong other times just there, there isn't I mean we're all inhabiting the same area but there's not a lot of deep bonding going on even in a monastic community where everyone's seemingly doing the same thing keeping the same precepts you know we're wearing the same clothes going the same routines but actually pretty much you know people are off their own spaces um, and sometimes there's festering dissent or indifference or someone is just not on the same wavelength and when you see it happen in, in a situation such as this when there is the same place same religion, same, and, you know, and it still doesn't bond, you know, oh, you think, well, actually, maybe that's the way it is. Bonding isn't that uh, uh, full. You know, it doesn't, it's just, maybe that's the way it is. And uh, it can occur in times, and it can occur more often with some people. Uh, that's great. Uh, but one shouldn't see that as the standard. One should feel very pleased if there is that capacity to some degree or to a, to a great degree with a few people. That's wonderful. Now, family particularly, um, you know, uh, it's like they're of different ages. They've got different karma. Now, I say in a monastery, the karmic confluence is greater we are all actually kind of looking at the same script in a way family not really can be going in completely different directions now is the feeling excluded 
it may be that one just doesn't have much in common, which, you know, it's a little disappointing, but that's wake up, you know. Or it can, you can feel actually you've been deliberately shoved out through some scheme or, or plan, and then you have to realize, well, what does this word family mean? Maybe this, this person isn't really my brother, you know, actually. And there's poignant, naturally, separate, because this is, this is the big um, poignant place, or the poignant mark. Separation is the, and exclusion is, in some form or another, the most common form of emotional pain. Um, the first noble truth. But so, rather than particularizing it, this is me and that's them, this is common. It's a common feature of personal life. Personal life, common feature of it. And you can't push it together. Uh, so, but you can always, be, what you can is sort of embrace the dilemma with a mind of compassion. Just let's not get upset, angry, worried. It's like this now. And it can be that equanimous realization of um, limitations of personal life. And family is often about personal life rather than. Um, transcendent. How important is it to understand the workings of the mind from the detailed Abhidhamma perspective versus the contemplation of the four foundations of mindfulness towards realizing non-self? Yeah. Wow. Matter of perspective, I think it depends on what you mean by understand. You you know you can get the idea uh, from Abhidharma, but you don't get the experience of it. It's not about direct experience. It's trying to put out present maps of direct experience, but to really uh, fathom penetrate the workings of the mind, you have to do meditation. Abhidharma may help to give you some pointers, but um, I haven't found it, I haven't used it much myself, uh, uh, because I find it, it may, it's too, too intricate and too heady for me. The general idea of uh, the mental process is not it's not being a single thing, which is the radical thrust and the meaning of the Abhidharma is there's no such thing as a thing. There's just this constant interweaving of factors but um that's extremely intricate and refined. But we might notice as a meditation practice, you know, when a mind state arises, what accompanies it? Is it accompanied if a thought arises, is it accompanied by negative mood, positive mood? Is it accompanied by mindfulness? Is it accompanied by delusion? 
So yeah, this that and that maybe gives you a sense of well, you know, what's keeping things running. But uh, Dhamma Vijaya, if you're cultivating the four establishments of mindfulness, then for awakening, the Bojanga, the awakening factors, you have Sati and then Dhamma Vijaya, which is investigation, you explore, handle uh, these mental stuff as it arises. Words and theories have their drawbacks. And we can be just thinking things through or trying to see something we aren't seeing just because it says it's that way in the book. And maybe it is, but it's not. you're not experiencing it. And so you're trying to force yourself to experience something that isn't evident for you. Then that's, uh, that's unprofitable. Should be accessing the solar plexus during our sitting practice. It's part of your body and it's uh, associated with uh, willpower. Um, So it's good to relax it. That may be through bringing retention from that area we call the solar plexus and sweeping it down the sides towards the back. So you trace along the rim of the diaphragm down into your lumbar spine, smoothing and steadying, smoothing out from the solar plexus. Don't, if you focus on it, you'll increase the energy there and it'll probably tighten up. So keep sweeping your attention away from areas that feel too tight. Expand, you don't need willpower. If you find yourself getting willful, you can feel the effect on your lower spine as a tugging in the vertebrae tighten up. This is uh, uh, not conducive. In the meditation at the beginning, we were touching into more open spaciousness. You suggested various qualities we might find in that spaciousness, including happiness and firmness. I found it hard to find a sense of firmness in that spaciousness. When I introduced the idea of firmness, jitta seemed to collect more within the energy body, sense of vast openness diminished. Any suggestions? Mm. I think if you linger in the the sense of what I call the happiness, which you seem to you don't mention, but uh, if you linger in the, if you do, if you do get a sense of it's a subtle ease, you might say, an ease and no pressure. If you linger in that quality of no pressure, uh, it becomes established, and uh, it's more than just an emotional movement. It's somatic, it means the energy system of your body is pretty uh, opened and and established in that that openness. So normally the, the somatic system is sort of shifting around according to the fluctuations of the moods 
or it can become quite hard and rigid. When we're driving towards something, trying to find something, it tends to become rigid. But when we experience and enjoy and receive and don't question the quality of ease, and slowly you can experience, I experience a kind of steadying in that, steadying in it, settling into it, and trusting in it. And that all those qualities give rise to a, a firming up. I mean, they, if you like, the residues build up to the somatic, to the body, inner body becomes quite settled. and open at the same time. If you like, the firmness acts as the frame around the openness. If the firmness is... If we search for the firmness, you put it into the centre so things close down. You see what I mean? If you're looking for firmness, then looking always takes you into the into the centre of something. That's the way that the looking for focus is a funnel channeling in. So that means it, it, it will cause things to, to lose that openness. But there's enjoying is more open. It's deeply receptive. And so it causes the, the chitta to become wider. Now, if that, if that sense of subtle enjoyment is allowed, lingered in, not dropped, not, it builds up till that becomes uh, an established uh, firm place. It's not like that all the time, but it, you, it can, you, over time that can be the case, the more you get used to it. But <laughs> just notice what finding and searching does. So it's like that, you know, and so and then things must close down because that's what, what's happening. Person is a musician. I find it difficult to give up music. I'm torn between music and meditation. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep meditating and uh, chanting and uh, and make it enjoyable. Mm. Um, uh, I used to have lots of music, a big collection of music. Uh, I used to play music, listen to music pretty much all day or most of the day. So my system was very much... Um, attuned to that experience, attuned. I still talk about attuned, a bit, you know, because it's so fundamental. Uh, where I experience things, I experience things sonorously. Uh, and then I, so when I started practicing meditation in, when I was in Thailand, there, was, there wasn't any music. It just wasn't. So my mind would rehearse all these songs and music more or less, all the time. <laughs> and after a while, I kind of got a bit fed up with it. Just going on. Yeah. 
And then when I came back to Britain, then I visited some of my music collection. And strangely enough, it sounded raucous <laughs> after, you know, after three or four years of withdrawal and meditation, the music didn't sound a bit like being pushed around. You know, like the music was pushing my chitta into this and that, like, you know, the song would try to push my chitta one way or the, you know, the, you feel you've been led along by it, you know, led, dragged along by it, which is what I liked, you know, being led along, get me out of difficult into a happy mood. But then after meditation practice, it didn't want to be led along. He said, you know, I just sit with this. It didn't want to be led by the, by the sounds. So it became much easier to to um, let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not, this is just a, an anecdote. It's not an, an advice. But if you meditate more and you get to enjoy it more, you might find your, your tastes change. But of course, if you are a musician, um, you know, you may listen. You may, if you need, if you need to make music, or you as a, as a way of life, for example, you might find, yeah. But you're more discerning. I know people who've been in rock bands and who've just eventually <laughs> given up because they just wanted some peace and quiet <laughs> after a while. <laughs> you know, so if it if it does that, you may you may very well do that. Okay, so thank you. We've come to the end of the questions for today, I believe. Yeah. So, what other people have asked may have meant something to you. Something you think, well, maybe about that. Just, just you know, maybe I didn't quite get the right answer for you. Um, but if it's if it's meant something, you can turn it over. Um, review your question yourself it may not be i've answered it but i've responded and that may help you to answer it by what i really meant was oh no i see okay